And good morning. I want to welcome everybody to our uh, service this morning. I'm going to do things a little differently than normal. Um, we've been doing communion first. So I want to save that till the end today. I, I don't know if we're going to be starting a new uh, series or if this goes with the old series. I'm just doing what I feel God has led me to do today. And uh, so I want to ask everyone to please just uh, as we open, let's open in prayer. And then I want to open um, the word of God today and see what it says to us this morning. But let's pray. Father God, we thank you. I thank you for the lesson we've had this morning uh, with, uh, with Joe. And then Lord, also, we just thank you for the opportunity to come together and uh, worship you today. Uh, maybe in difficult tasks, it may be in difficult ways, um, Lord, to come together in a way uh, that is unconventional, but Lord, we know that regardless of what it is, uh, us together in this way where two or three are gathered, Lord, you are in the midst, and we are very grateful and thankful for that today. Uh, Lord, I pray you bless this service time. I pray you bless each one who is a part of it, and uh, just bless us to uh, serve you in a mighty way today, and we just thank you for this opportunity to come together today. And we pray this in your holy, blessed, and wonderful name today. Amen. Um, I'm truly grateful to uh, to be able to do this again. And I, I tell you, I have found God just working through this time so much recently. Um, but as we open the word of God today, I want to go to Psalm chapter uh, 17 and 18. I know... Uh, there's a whole lot of scripture here uh, that we're going to look for and uh, or look through. And I want to just, um, you know, start here today. I'm not obviously going to read all the scripture that's there, but I do want to just take some time for us to focus a little bit. And, and you know, we've spent a whole lot of time uh, with the, the prayer group, with all the things that have been going on. We've been talking about prayer. And so as we come together at this time, as we as we look at this and we think about this, uh, some of the things that really stick out to me um, are just, you know, I, I figured why not look at some prayers, look at the the prayers that are here. And, and truthfully, I think that this psalm goes with a lot of what we have spent time talking about. Now, one of my favorite verses in all of the psalms truly uh, comes out of this chapter in Psalm. And we will look at all of 17 one way or another. We're going to read about half of it. But I do want to start with this verse just simply because I love this verse. And it's verse 14. It says, With your hand, Lord, save me from men, from men of the world, whose portion is in this life. You fill their bellies with what you have, what you have in store. Their sons are satisfied, and they leave their surplus to their children. Now, I I love that. I, I love um, that it talks about the protection and the saving of God. But you know, I've I've not really ever looked at this entire psalm in some ways um, the way that I have this time because of what's going on around us. You know, I, I think verse twelve really speaks to us as well, talking about the lions that are waiting to ambush and attack. And so I want to look at Psalm 17. I want to open by talking about it in this way. 
Uh, Psalm 17 is titled A Prayer of David. Now, um, that being the case, uh, you know, it's it's one of only two psalms that are that are titled in that way. Psalm 86 is also titled A Prayer of David. And when we compare now, there's something about the psalms that we've got to understand. Psalms may or may not be in uh, some sort of order. Um, and in reality, they're they're most likely not in a chronological order. They were they were compiled almost as a songbook. Um, but to compare the titles in Hebrew with those in the Septuagint, and the and the Septuagint was um, the Hebrew Bible that was used at the time when Jesus was alive. It would have been the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament scripture. But to compare the titles, it shows that those in the Septuagint were taken from the the Hebrew originals. Uh, so the origins of the titles then, and at least as early as the second century uh, BC, when the Hebrew Bible was translated into Koine Greek. Now, more than likely, the titles were at that were were old at that time. So for this to be titled a Prayer of David, um, that's something that we can look at here today, but the question of whether they were written in the Psalms by the authors. Now, I can't really speak to that. Obviously, I wasn't there when they were written, but whether they were written by the authors or are therefore part of the inspired text or, you know, there's no satisfaction that can really come in that, and it really doesn't matter. Um, they're nearer in time to the writing of the psalm than of any of the information that we have. Nothing of importance really depends on whether they're part of the inspired text or not. So the title that says A Prayer of David, um, David is attributed to writing the psalm. And in the absence of a reason to think otherwise based on the writing, David is considered the author of this psalm. So when we look at this and when we think about this, um, you know, we're going to look at this, break it down. I'm going to read this out of the CSB, but I'm going to look at the text as well from the ESV point of view, and we'll look back at it here in a moment. Um, or actually, I'm going to read it out of the ESV, excuse me. And we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it in two main parts. Um, first, we want to look at the first part of this psalm. And so as we do that, as we look at that, and as we really break it down, um, I, I do want to look at the first five verses here of what it says. It says in Psalm 17, 1 through 5, Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give my ear, or give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not find transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths, and my feet have not slipped. Now, when we look at this, when we think about this, when we start to really break this down, what we recognize in this is something interesting. And that interesting factor that I think we find here is that it seems David here is claiming innocence. Um, it's a prayer for refuge. It is something, you know, before we get through this, though, I want to carefully consider this. 
what are we to take away from this psalm? Psalm 17 is such a powerful psalm, uh, and I, I do believe that we can take a lot away from it. Uh, in the case for David's innocence, verses 1 through 5 are actually summed up maybe in that fifth verse alone where it says, My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. So here's my question today. Are verses 1 through 5 factually true? Now, what do I mean by that about them being factually true? Well, Romans 3.23 is one that maybe we can bring to mind really quick. It, it quickly sums that up in some ways. Romans 3.23 says, uh, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, conveniently, it reminds us that we've all sinned, and it not only that we have all sinned, but we fall short of the glory of God, which is something that we seldom talk about. It's something that I have talked about recently, but we got to think about this. We usually refer to that passage as a proof uh, that no one is without sin. Now, without considering what it is to fall short of the glory of God, because that's a subject for another sermon topic, um, I, I don't want to really dive into that. But, but Paul hadn't written this yet to the Romans, and honestly, David wouldn't have read it yet. If Paul hadn't written it, plus the fact that David would have, even if Paul had written it, David wouldn't have read it prior to this. But nevertheless, David should have known whether he had sinned or not, correct? I mean, we all know if we have committed a sin, we know because it weighs on us, it tears us down, it breaks us down. So as we think about that today, I want to just look at it in that way. I want to I want to really break this down because David claiming that he hadn't sinned. Um, seems false here. And, you know, that's something that we can look at. Is David lying here? Is David um, saying something false? Now, the question raises another question. Since the Holy Spirit is the channel through which all Scripture was given, wouldn't the Holy Spirit have prevented David from doing this, from giving us something that's untrue. And I'm not, I'm not at all. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what David is saying here is false. So please do not get confused with what I'm saying. But perhaps we can get the answers, at least with regards to this. And, and what I want to do is I want to look at a few different scriptures as we go through this. But it's obvious that David's claims aren't true. I mean, I think it is. At the synagogue of... Um, Antioch, Paul told the group that David was a man after God's own heart, but not that David never sinned. David was a man who was considered, he was considered a servant after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. Well, what does that mean for you and I today in this conversation? How can we take this and look at it and break it down and really examine what I'm talking about? Well, first, let's ask this question. What do we know of the sins that David committed? Well, adultery and murder come to mind really fast. Um, there were other occasions in which David was unmistakably in sin, uh, using a census to measure the strength of his army. Second uh, Samuel 24, we see that story. Uh, you know, 
it says again, in the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. So the, the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, go through all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and number the people that I may know the number of the people. Well, when it was done, David realized that he had sinned. And David's heart struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done so very foolishly. And then David arose to, in the morning. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer you. Choose one of them that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him and said, to him, shall three years of famine come to you in your land, or will you flee three months before your foes while they pursue you, or shall there be three days pestilence in the land? Now consider and decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So there's that. David realized that he had sinned and he took it before the Lord. So obviously David would have known if he were a sinner. The second thing uh, we could recount would be when David fleed uh, from the irrational wrath of Saul upon Jonathan's warning and he came to Nob and he, he lied to Ahimelech, the priest. Now, David said to Ahimelech, the priest, uh, this is in 1 Samuel 21. The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. See, that was a lie. David requested bread for himself and his men, and because there was no other, they were given the bread and were removed from the tables of showbread uh, in the tabernacle, which was then at Nob. Setting aside the tricky question of whether David and his men had sinned by eating the bread of the tabernacle, which was for the priests to eat after its sacred purpose was served. So unquestionably, David lied to induce Ahimelech to give him the bread. So someone may say if David or if Saul is the enemy of David and the enemy that he's concerned with, then all the sins mentioned that uh, we maybe have listed so far may not have been committed by this time. And that is likely true. So if, 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 Psalm, if Psalm 17 is written about Saul, then all the sins that we've mentioned of David have not yet happened. So that would require us, however, to assume that David's claims in Psalm 17, 1 through 5 are true. David actually had lived sinlessly well into his adulthood when this psalm was written, if that's the case. And apart from his claims in this psalm, we don't really have the information to establish that idea as a premise. We don't really have the information to develop that. You see, what we're getting to with this and what I'm really breaking down and, and going into is the fact that we look at the people around us, we look at the lives around us, we look at those in the church and we see how they are or aren't. We don't know someone's life up to whatever point. We don't know the sins that they may or may not have committed. We don't know how those things maybe play out. Just as we can't really attribute any of this 
or the writing of this or any of that to where David is. We are not left to deduce that David had no sins, however, when he wrote this psalm. Um, and as we look at this and we go through this, I'm, I'm going to show you that, I hope. <laughs> but what I want to say here is that we know for certain David had sins. Uh, we know enough about them to be certain that if considered globally, David's claims in Psalm 17, 1 through 5 cannot be true. So the claims of that God found nothing evil. Now, please, again, bear with me. Do not think that I'm calling David a liar or I'm calling the scripture false. I need you to understand what I'm saying. If we set aside David's sins after he became king of Israel, there are earlier sins to be accounted for, and David knew it. Uh, Psalm 25 actually speaks to this in some ways. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3, this out of the King James, says, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on me, on me be ashamed. Let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Now, excuse me for stumbling over that. Um, but then we skip down to verse 7. And in verse 7 it says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. And if we continue down, uh, verse 11 here says, For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. So David was acutely aware of his sins. David was acutely aware, um, I would say maybe more than acutely aware, of his own sins, including those that he had committed in his youth. He wrote that Psalm 25 stating that exact fact. So why would this be the case? Why would David be so wrapped up in this that he's looking at this and he's saying, you know, why, why is he saying he has not sinned? Why is it appearing that he's saying he has avoided all of these things that sin has caused? So David in Psalm 17 appears to offer this claim of sinlessness as an inducement for God to protect him from his enemies. What do we see in this? David didn't base his plea for refuge on false claims of innocence. I, I do believe this. Um, you know, if we were to take a picture frame and we were to put a picture frame on the wall empty, and then in that frame, we were to take the idea to use a, use it as a, quote, frame of reference, so to speak. Placing scripture in an unintended frame of reference lies at the root of much mischief. Um, Satan has spread across our Christian world, across the worshiping, the Christ-centered world, those who are centered in Christ and what he does. I don't want to descend into pointing out and taking satisfaction in the air of others. I'm not trying to do that at all. The attitude that we've got this whole idea of this figured out, the attitude that I've got it right, you've got it wrong, uh, lies at the root of the of this other side of this mischief tree. Like I'm not at all 
trying to get into this. The claims of David in verses one through five are true with David's reference. Now, if we reference this, they are true with reference to David refusing to retaliate for the wrongful persecution that he suffered from his enemies, Saul, Absalom. Um, I mean, we could go a list the number of enemies that David had. So if we're using a point of reference, if we're taking a frame and we're using a point of reference and we're saying, David's not claiming to be sinless. David is claiming, in this situation, Lord, I have done nothing. I am innocent of what is happening to me in this moment. Now, that's something that we can all understand. That's something that we can all really grasp and something that I think we can all take heart in. I think that's something that we need to look at when it comes to this scripture. There's other scriptures that do the same thing, but David is not claiming to be innocent. David is very much aware of the sins that he's committed in his life. But in this moment, in this opportunity, in this chance, David is recognizing, I'm I'm blameless here. I didn't do the things which I'm being accused of doing. So with David being that way, with David feeling that way, what we can really gather in this is that, you know, well, let's let's look at this. Did David have a chance to kill Saul? Yes, he absolutely did. And he declined to act on it. In this, David did not sin. And in that, and that his conduct toward his personal enemies, in the context of this psalm, the nation of Israel's enemies is maybe another subject. But when we call on God for refuge, protection from enemies or other blessings, does it strengthen our case to say these things? So if we look at this in terms of a prayer, when we're calling out to God and we're saying, God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this is happening. I honestly have no idea where this thing started. Again, if David had obviously sinned to be able to claim to be blameless, you know, we can do the same thing based on the what David is doing. I mean, we can cry out in a situation, if we use that frame of reference, we can cry out and say, God, I realize my past is there, but this isn't about my past. This is about my present. And, you know, as Christians, we, we talk about this a number of times. Once our sins are forgiven, once God has forgiven our sins and he has moved us past that point, he in the scripture talks about the separation from east to west, the the fact that our sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west, the fact that our sins through Christ's blood on the cross have been washed clean. If we're not actively in that sin, if that's a sin we have repented for and moved beyond, then yes, David's claim here seems to be a legitimate claim where David is crying out saying, I'm blameless in this. I've done nothing, Lord. You know that. You know my heart. You know where I stand. You know this situation. And even almost a post-repentant David, um, we're not talking about a global view of David's life. We're talking about a point of reference. So if we take that point of reference and we transfer that into this conversation, then that is where we find ourselves and even if we had a track record like David with regard to our enemies, 
It's not for me to say what God would do with our request. Reality speaking, it's not for me to say what God should do with anyone's request. You know, if you think about it, and we've talked about it a lot, I've talked about this a number of times. If I take the first and second chapters of Job, it's not for me. I learned a long time ago through this, uh, the studying of this stuff, that Job is far more involved in God's actions than I could speak for maybe even my own wisdom, my own regard. But I, I don't think I can really say if, if we do this, God does that in a number of situations because I cannot speak for God on that regard. I cannot say if, if we do this, if we do this in this circumstance, God will do this, and this is exactly how it's going to happen because I don't believe that that's for me to judge. I can't tell you what God is going to do because God is sovereign. You know, I might pray and want something to happen in my way, but then to turn around and tell you that this is exactly how it's going to happen, I can't speak to that. So the factors that are unknown to me might have a bearing on what God's actions are. There might be factors that are unknown to us that we may not see the fullness of what God's vision in the situation is. So when we pray for the healing, when we pray for those things to come and take place, when we pray for all these things to happen, the reality is simply this, we don't see the full picture. We have a frame, we have a point of reference, we have something small. I mean, you can see these these things on the wall here behind me. You've got a frame, that's what you've got. You've got that point of reference, that's it. So what did David know about justification, about redemption, about reconciliation, about the means of erasing sin? However much David knew or didn't know about God's plan to deal with sin, David expects vindication to come from the right place. Verse two here, he speaks the presence of the Lord, which is where it matters. He says, um, you know, let my vindication come from you. Let my vindication come from you. So he speaks to that. David apparently had some knowledge and some expectation of God removing the guilt of our sins. Now, this is obviously, again, prior to Christ. Psalm 51 verse 2 says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Psalm 32 verses 1 through 5 you know, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32 speaks to that. So David had a need and he expressed in the way by request of what his need is, or maybe even a group of requests. And then Psalm 17 verses six and seven say, I call upon you for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me, hear my words, Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. David's plea, again, look at this. David's plea here is not for anything, but the beginning of verse seven, it says, wondrously show your steadfast love. Show your steadfast love. The word steadfast love here appears 123 times in the Psalms. 
another 71 times in the rest of the Bible. And they're all in the Old Testament. And that's in the ESV. More specifically, David states his request in verses 13 and 14. Um, the first part of 14, I'm going to read that out of the CSB where it says this, rise up, Lord, confront him, bring him down with your sword, save me from the wicked. With your hand, Lord, save me from men, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their their bellies with what you have in store. Their sons are satisfied and they leave their surplus to their children. Wow. So we see this, we see what's happening here. So David's prayer was for a showing of steadfast love that was manifested in refuge from God. Verse eight actually says, to keep me the apple of your eye, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Verse 13, confront the enemy. Verse 13 says, subdue him, take him down, confront him, bring him down. Verse 13 also says, deliver my soul. So obviously David is talking about this in a a spiritual sense. Verse 7, David had some adversaries, Saul, Absalom, and the others. Is he referring to Israel's enemy or his personal foes? Honestly, the tone of the psalm seems very personal. So I would almost venture to say that these are a personal situation but did David did God answer David's prayer favorably? I mean, we could see what David thought. If we go just one psalm over, David is now praising God for deliverance from Saul. So if these are in chronological order, if these have been put together in this way, Psalm 18 then gives us this opportunity to see that David was spared from what he was crying out for. Because we go from this situation into chapter 18, Psalm 18, where he starts and says, I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. Verses two through six, he then says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He gives us these names. He gives us these these visions in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. In Psalm 18, David is praising God for deliverance. He's praising God for that saving grace that he offers. And and he continues there in verses 16 and 17. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. David claiming that he could not have done it on his own, but God saved him because they were too mighty for him. You know, David was certain that there was cause and effect, direct relationship between the blamelessness and the Lord's protection. David had done nothing wrong in the situation. So David prays in that mindset of, God, you know what I've done. You know what I haven't done. I do not deserve what is happening to me. Please, Lord, protect me, deliver me. Have you had those moments in your life? 
Have you had those moments where you felt you didn't deserve what was coming, what was happening, what was going on in your life? Those moments where you were just like, God, I don't get this. Where did this come from? Where did this attack come from? Because, Lord, I've cried out to you. I I get my past isn't right. I get my past is broken and dirty. And there's things about me that don't make sense. But God, in this, I've done nothing. I think we've all had those moments. Those moments of question. In verses 1 through 24, David credits his righteousness as the reason God answered his prayers in in, in Psalm 18. Psalm 18, starting in verse 19, David says this, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness or the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him. I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. And that is truly what David believed. What is our takeaway from this psalm? The lesson is not that David was sinless. By no means was he. We know it and he knew it. David knew he was not sinless. We know he's not sinless. So there's no reason to sit there and look at the beginning of Psalm 17 and say, why is he claiming to be sinless? He's not. David is putting it in a frame of reference and saying, God, in this situation, in this moment, you know my heart. You know what's happened. You know I've not been worthy of what they are doing to me. Please, Lord, protect me, deliver me, give me hope. Wow. We pray that prayer a lot, don't we? We we come before the Lord in that mindset a lot. And in the times that we're in right now with prayer being a focus, and we talk about these things, and it's, I've struggled a lot myself. It's You go through these situations and you think, what have I not repented for? I'm praying these prayers, nothing's being answered. What have I not repented for? Why am I, you know, I've I've come before you with everything, Lord. Why is this happening? Well, the reality is, is that this lesson that we can learn from Psalm 17 isn't that we must be sinless and remind God of it, you know, um, for him to grant our request. We don't have to be sinless and remind him. We aren't sinless. David wasn't sinless. The lesson isn't that some degree of moral and spiritual excellence has been achieved, that even in the presence of some sins, we that maybe we've sought forgiveness for them. It gives us leverage in our dealings with God. I think it's involved more, you know, there's there's more here than just those things. There's more here than just how good we are, just exactly as it was with Job. There are lessons in this Psalm of David. There are lessons in this prayer. There are lessons in this story. David simply laid out the case for God. Think about it. If we're correct in this analysis, David had not sinned toward the personal enemies. He had not sinned in this situation. And so therefore, it was fair to seek divine vindication in that context. It was fair for him to to cry out in that way when we place the context within the psalm. 
It's like in a court of law. You have committed a murder in your past and you're on trial for a current murder. The past murder is not going to be held against you unless it's never been tried and they're both being tried. It shouldn't be held against you and, and it would be like you crying to the court saying, look, I know what my past looks like, but this is not me. This is this is not how this is taking place. This shouldn't be held against me for something that happened now when it didn't happen this time. That's the point of what David is making here. David placed his request before the throne of heaven, not claiming that God was obligated to answer him affirmatively. It's not David claiming that God is obligated to give him what he calls out for. David's uprightness notwithstanding here. He hoped for the sought-after outcome. He prayed for the request that he had, and he didn't know whether it would happen or not. Now, why do I say that? Because Psalm 18 shows a favorable outcome to David's request that we see in Psalm 17, but we see David praising God for delivering on his answered prayer. David prayed Psalm 18 is a praise to God, not forgetting where the response came from, not forgetting that God had delivered him. See, if these are in a contextual, if we're contextually speaking and they are in a chronological order and a meaningful order, then it's it's safe to assume that maybe these go together. Again, we can't speak to that. I can't tell you that Psalm 18 goes with Psalm 17, but it truly seems to say something for that deliverance. When a passage of Scripture seems to say something that maybe we think is false, like the first five verses here of Psalm 17, I think we need to look at it in light of all the other Scripture that deals with the same subject. And, and we need to see if it harmonizes with the Scripture as a whole. Examine your understanding of the Scripture. And take that scripture and look at it, study it, break it down, just as I've looked at it, studied it, broken it down today. You know, other scriptures with the view that each passage needs to be understood and giving us little rays of hope, little rays of light. Um, as we break these things down, we've got to be prepared, one, to revise our views of the scriptures. Sometimes we have this view of what a scripture means. And then when we bring this other into it, when we contextualize it and we bring in the fullness of where God's word leads us, sometimes we need to revise our point of view. Other times we need to look at maybe a point of reference or a frame of reference. We need to put it in the picture that it is. And we need to really study and, and think about it in that way. How does verse 15 in Psalm 17 relate to the rest of the psalm? He says, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. Now, there's two or three ways, I believe, that we can look at this. There's really two or three ways that I really think we can break this down. Um, one is that as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. 
does it have anything to do with David's vindication? Or is his prayer for refuge, you know, or the does it have to do with the prayer for refuge that we see in the first 14 verses? There's 14 verses here that really seem to speak to David crying out for help. And then David seems to say, I'm going to bed. I'm sleeping. I've laid it all out. I've said my piece. Does it have to do with that vindication? Or is it busting forth from, um, you know, maybe unbidden from a heart filled with love and reverence that David had for God? He was a man after God's own heart. You know, I don't know that I have the final answer for this. In reality, I don't know that any of us do. But it is interesting maybe to ask the question, what does David mean by I shall be satisfied with your likeness? See, does David mean he longs to know God? Does he maybe realize that he can only get a glimpse of his likeness here on earth? Um, because God dwells in unapproachable light. We've seen that throughout the scripture. Or maybe, and and I think maybe this is something we can all believe. Um, like I said, there's two or three ways to break this down. Maybe by your likeness, David is seeking for himself to be made into the likeness of God. And with that God-like quality, he will be satisfied. Now, I don't mean he wanted to be God. I mean that he wanted to be like God. And wow, that would be a noble hope, right? That would be a noble way of hoping here. Another view is that, as I said, David just had peace. David laid his request before the Lord. David had a clear conscience about what he was asking God. Why? Because it was a contextual thing. David felt that there was context within his prayer. He had a frame of reference. He had a personal point of reference that he could reference here in saying, look, I realize I am not sinless, but God, I've done nothing wrong at this time. I'm seeking your guidance. I'm seeking your comfort. I'm seeking your, your will for my life in this. I'm seeking you to show me a way that I can be justified in you, a way I can be blessed by you, a way that I can be vindicated in some way in this time. David truly understood what was taking place here. David got what was happening. He he knew that he was not blameless. He knew that he was not sinless. He knew that that wasn't the point. How many times have we come before the Lord when we've laid all our repentance out, when we've laid all of our sins on the table and we've moved on and we've left them there? Then it's as if we walk away without those sins. You know, justification is just as if I had never sinned. We've talked about that before, but David breaks this down. David goes through this prob or this situation. David realizes in the moment that he's in, there was no reason for his enemies to be chasing him. There was no reason for them to have the things against them that they did. And yet 
here we are. So he cries out to God and then seeks vindication. And then he lays it all there. He asks God for his petition and he lays it all out. And then I, I like to think that David just laid down to go to sleep. You know, I almost even envision this as if we were facing death because I think that what David also recognizes here, it says, when I, I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. That could mean one of two things. If we take that and we apply it to the Christian life today, it could mean we go to bed with a clear conscience and we wake up with the likeness of God on our mind and that we see but a glimpse of that on this earth. It could mean that we are the likeness of God. Genesis 1.26, God is creator, creating man in his image and that we just want to be like God. To be like God, like I said, a noble hope. And it could also mean that we are looking at a man who has made his way to the end of all of this. His life is, he feels good. He knows that his sins are forgiven, whether he lives or he dies. He will awake looking at the likeness of God, whether it be here or beyond. He has a peace in such a way that he knows that when he awakes, he will see the likeness of God. That is a beautiful thought, a beautiful thing. And I wonder, do we have that same feeling today? That likeness of God was Jesus and he came and he gave his life for us. And if you don't know him today, I would encourage you, take the time to get to know him. Like I said, this is a different sermon than I normally preach, but this is something that has been on my heart. Yeah, it's kind of somber, it's kind of broken, but the reality is this. David prayed his prayer. David laid out his requests. He had a clear conscience, a clear mind, a clear heart. And when David finished, he seemingly laid down to sleep. And then when he awakens, he's praising God for deliverance. He's praising God that he no longer is dealing with the thing that was weighing him down. I just want to put it that way to you today. If you have something that you need to talk with me about, you can contact me. Go to newlandchristianchurch.com and you can find contact information there. Um, go to our Facebook page. If you're watching this on Facebook, obviously, you can get the information there. Uh, those are probably the two places you're watching this. Um, get in contact. Let us know what we can do to bless you, to pray for you, to help you. But if you have a decision that you need to make and it comes to something like this, when we pray, it's okay for us to realize the context of the prayer we're praying. It's okay for us to pray in that context of knowing that in this circumstance, what we're praying for, that we can lay those petitions before the Lord. 
David was a man after God's own heart. Will you be that same way today? Will you be after his own heart today? And again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our um, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. And until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.